so today's conversation is the difference between consumer-facing UX and employee-facing workforce experience design. And so we might have to have a conversation of the difference between a hedgehog and a porcupine. Very different. Very different. Because I think people think of hedgehogs and they think porcupine. Right. Like porcupines, their quills, like when they actually like use their quills, get stuck in things. Hedgehogs don't lose their quills. They just curl up into a ball and become a whole ball of like pokiness to protect themselves. Porcupines are really friendly if they actually like you. Fun fact, I used to work like in high school, I actually worked part-time for a zoo. And I was gonna say you, you to Yeah, how do you know all these facts? <laughs> that checks okay, makes sense. Yeah, you, you I like porcupine and he used to get so excited that you actually had to have like the bucket between you because like a cat he'd kind of want to like rub up on you and he wouldn't realize he was dangerous and he would dance and like wait in his cage when you're coming like they're very cute i you say this and i'm imagining like an anime hedgehog like with big people eyes and porcupine yeah you worked at a zoo i did and now you're a consultant so it's pretty much the same thing. Sure. That's that's pretty neat. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, yeah, so back to, sorry, we're really, really goofy today. It feels like a Friday. So maybe you're listening on a Friday and it's meeting your mood. I feel like I'm uh, never getting invited back. <laughs> it must be is, me. No, this is pretty, this is pretty typical. Okay. Um, you're in good company. So UX, consumer-facing workforce experience design. So like UX versus, I don't know, what do we call it, WEX, W-E-X? Are they different? Are they similar? I think they're, they're probably more similar than not similar, right? It's, it's all through the lens of trying to do right by people, provide them with value, empathize with them, create a better quality of life. I think there's nuances though, where if you're doing it for the workforce, you're not designing maybe one thing for one person. You're designing an experience, service, could still be a product, but it might have to be facilitated by people in your organization too. And so you have to design for both producers and consumers. Um, not to mention, there's not always a clear dollar and cents return on your designs. And so I think the way that we defend workforce experience designs sometimes look and feel different, but I, I'll just pause. Erica, Emily, what are you thinking? Go I ahead, Emily. I, I, I called yeah, both call on us both at the same time, but I'm curious what Emily has to say. Um, I think one of the biggest differences that I've seen is like a, like a traditional like UX consultant moving into like workforce experience. I think one of the biggest things that's not shocking, but just like having to like reconcile is the idea that many times when we're designing, Ryan, you briefly touched on this. You're not always, actually, I spend a lot of my time not designing for a screen. Or if I'm designing for a screen, I have limited capabilities from the get-go of the tools I can use, of the actual design elements, because often we are working in an HR suite of tools that exist today. And that's not to say we don't have ability to make change, but often the changes we're trying to drive are very limited from like a 
um, truly the UI side of the house and UX is like, well, we, are, we have very limited constraints here, which is why we think about the whole service. Um, so I think that's one of the big shifts I see is like it becomes a lot more about how do we even understand the, the ecosphere in which this service is happening versus just designing a screen. Yeah, the way I think about it is, so just for people's understanding, I sought out working for LeapGen because I love the domain of workforce experience. At my prior job, didn't have any sort of like dedicated industry or domain or problem space that I was quote unquote assigned to, but had limited exposure and found that it was a passion topic. And I think it's because for the reasons that you just called out, Emily, but also you are indirectly impacting in a consumer experience of some sort. So you're still in a way shaping it by making the day-to-day -day better for the people bringing those experiences to life. Um, no matter how sort of behind the scenes of a role they may play, that's ultimately um, you know, the impact later on down the line. And then I think another thing that, that we're really sensitive to here at LeapGen is the amount of time people spend at work. So when you're thinking about consumer experiences, it's kind of like these micro moments or these micro interactions within someone's broader day-to-day -day context. But when it's workforce, like eight hours a day doing something or using a certain tool is, is a lot. So I think that that's also something to consider. Yeah, I love that thought and consideration because, you know, it's not people potentially are going to be very connected to what we're designing in ways that we don't always anticipate. It's not even just using the tool, but it's like, how do they get assistance using the tool? Because inevitably it's going to happen, right? Like there's that whole idea that they're going to interact quite heavily with whatever we're designing. Um, but I also want to jump in, Ryan had mentioned too, designing for the consumers and the producers of that experience. So not only are we designing for someone who's using potentially an HR service portal, for example, or you know whatever tool they may be using, but we're also the same body of individuals, our workforce includes those who are producing that experience. So those who are saying, oh, I'm the one taking the calls and I also need to have an experience. And I think that's a unique thing in workforce experience designs. We don't pick our, like, there isn't like a target population that we get to pick and say, well, we're designing for this group and we'll go find the group that we think will use our product and service. We already have our pool of people, which can be an advantage because you always hear about how do I get, you know, testers for my feedback. That's always a difficult thing in the traditional UX consumer space. So we have that built-in group. But at the same time, we don't, we don't, if we don't hit the mark for this group, we don't get to just go pick a new group. This is our workforce. This is the population we get to design for. There's a lot of knowledge just unloaded in that last couple minutes there. So Erica, some things that you said that really resonate. The workforce experience is directly related to the external consumer experience. 100%. And I think a lot of organizations really miss that. Like, well, we need to focus on the bottom line and our employees have what they need to be successful, but maybe not what they need to feel successful, but they can still get their jobs done. So we should focus on a new product for the customer. You know, I have um, 
my AC is out again. It has not been fixed. So I haven't had like air conditioner, air conditioning for like the entire summer. But I called this home warranty company and I can tell that sometimes these employees aren't, aren't always taken care of the way that they need to. We won't mention any names of the company because they've, they've done right by me pretty much. But, you know, if we have an employee who's working from home, I hear kids in the background. I can hear that they're stressed out. They probably have an Avea phone and like a corded headset and their kids are running around. And I'm like, well, did the employer think about like providing daycare assistance to these individuals or different resources to help them be successful now working from home when they used to be working in a call center? Because when I call them and their kids are running amok and kids do that because my kids do that and they're having a terrible day, I usually don't have that great of a call with them because their workforce experience affects their ability to interact with people. And I, it's a shame because like I can deal with it, but I just hope it doesn't affect the way that they deal with family, how they talk to their kids them being stressed out. And so it's so important that by nailing the workforce experience and designing for the workforce experience, both the producers and the consumers, Eric, to your point, it directly relates how me as an external consumer gets treated. Not to mention the impact that it has, like you mentioned, people are spending so much time at work. It definitely affects the way that they interact at home. We've all been there. You've had a garbage day at work and you come home and then you're garbage to your family or, or your friends or you're short or you're snippy. That's happened to all of us. Not to say that it's all completely preventable, but that's the power that employers have over the quality of life of their employees. So what we do and how we provide experiences for our people directly impact how they perceive their world, interact with their world, feel about their day to day. I'm getting a little too preachy. No, I oh, love that you bring up the call center example. You and I have talked about that before, how much we love working in this space. And it's because there is so much opportunity. It's people who have such a big influence on how people <clears throat> on how people perceive and interact with um, consumer goods and services, but at the same time are some of the most underpaid in many instances undervalued. Um, many times contract roles that don't have access to benefits and things like that. Some of their working environments are some of the worst. It's like of it's wild to me because of you know we're so used to interacting with call centers and we're we just kind of accept as consumers that you know it's going to be a horrible experience and in workforce experience we get the behind the scenes view into the whys of those and sometimes it is the tools a lot a lot of times it's everything else in addition to the tools we could, we could transition and talk about this, and we should talk about this. The marginalized workforce is oftentimes the voice and the face of the organization, which is so counterintuitive. Think about Amazon. Is Amazon a person or an entity? Like, they don't have any stores. If I was to base my relationship with Amazon, it's based on if I have an issue and I call somebody, or chat with somebody and the delivery people, the people who deliver my packages. 
that's my, that's how I perceive Amazon. Not to mention things in the news, of course. But for most of these organizations, your call center that is the personality. That is the 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 soul of your organization. That's how people will interact with your business. And so, again, maybe we don't need to spend time on this this topic today to, to go through it, but. If you are not providing a meaningful experience and a positive experience for the voice in the face of your business, I, I just, how can you expect customers to want to come back? I just don't get it. Like, I just have having a hard time understanding how businesses can think that way. But Emily, what do you think? Yeah, and actually it's a great, so I have a great example. So um, uh, it, I don't think it has come up on the podcast yet or not, but I, my husband and I are big do-it-yourselfers. We do a lot of home improvement projects. And so this weekend we are at a pretty big chain home improvement store to rent um, a drywall lift because we were putting in drywall this weekend, which was great. It means we're making progress. Um, and we went to go get the actual lift and there's the whole rental process at the desk. And it was funny, we had someone who was newer obviously and hadn't really gone through the actual, like how do I actually sign out rental equipment to a customer before? And so she asked for help and the more senior employee comes over and it's like, oh yeah, like here, I'll walk you through it. And it's like taking multiple steps to just go through. And you can tell she's just like, she actually even visibly rolled her eyes at the computer, not at us. Like she was super great with us, but rolled her eyes at the computer. She's like, you would expect to print off your like actual, like agreement I shouldn't have to print three times and immediately my reaction was like oh my god I would love like some I think organizations would say well why do we want to hear about this person complaining to a customer my immediate reaction as a UX person was like oh my god can we get you in front of someone to actually walk them through like how you use this tool day to day because if you have to do this again and again and again just to get a simple rental agreement you're not going to enjoy doing your work it was just like this moment and my husband has now learned because I see UX problems everywhere. He's like, he turns to me and he's like, oh my gosh, that's that's terrible UX, isn't it? And I'm like, ha ha, <laughs> if I've done one thing well in this world, I have one person who is now just like sees it too for better or worse. But it was this moment of like, man, this individual who really is to your point, right? Like they're the face of the organization. They're who your customers are gonna work with day to day. They're going to be the people who, if we took the time as workforce experience consultants or individuals in this organization, if you took the time to just ask them, hey, like in your job, are there things that just don't go well? Think about how easy it probably could be to be resolving the fact that you have to print three times. It's a very simple thing, but the fact that she knows that it happens and rolls her eyes, I mean, she does this day in and day out. And it takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. for a simple transaction and employees have to choose like cognitively maybe subconsciously have to choose like where's where's my cognition going to be focused on completing this work task or building a relationship in this in this sense with the customer sitting across the counter standing across the counter and they had to spend time on a bad process instead of building a relationship uncovering unknown needs as we would say in the sales world we kind of got tangential, but I think this is a fun conversation. If we don't create, if we don't create good experiences for our employees, we by extension are saying that we don't really care what our customers' experience is. 
I mean, I feel comfortable saying that I, I might get some, some tomatoes thrown at me. But if you don't care about your employees, you can say that, you know, you can say that you care about your, your customers, but you're not acting like you care about your customers because what happens is then the, the second toughest job in a company becomes being a customer. Like for me with this warranty company now, I have to do all this problem solving and try to figure out who to call. Like I'm doing so much work to be a customer where come renewal in December, I have to make a decision. Was the juice worth the squeeze? And so I'm not saying everything, all of my problems would be solved by a better employee experience, but I can tell you the employees had to spend less time worrying about innocuous things and more time on taking care of me. I can be a happy consumer rather than an unpaid employee. But I'm getting preachy. Erica, jump in. I think like another thing that weaves into what we're talking about here is the difficulty to measure. So it's really hard for us to understand the impact of like the example that Emily brought up. Um, but with consumer products, you know, if there is um, a bug or some sort of misdirect that someone's experiencing in a UX product, that's something that analytics will tell us right away and something that will get resolved for. It will get, you know, prioritized on the roadmap or what have you. But for things um, like, again, what Emily described, it's like, is that stuff even getting measured? How is it getting captured? And then a lot of a lot of times, what we experience is people will um, not report accurately because it may affect how they are um, how their performance is evaluated, and so it just gets really complicated and hairy really quickly. So <laughs> I think, um, yeah, just layering in the ability to. Um, track and measure some of these pain points. I, that's so, that's social acceptance. So it is socially acceptable to have a bad consumer experience and to tweet about it, right? And to go on Instagram and say, hey, Acme company, the, I'm thinking about uh, cartoons, but the dynamite you sold me was faulty, right? From Acme, if you all, maybe it's a generational thing. But as an employee, if that employee was to say, yeah, I'm having a hard time using these tools, that's not social, that's really not socially acceptable within an organization because then they say, oh, this is a problem employer, this employee isn't competent. And I think it gets put on employees a lot, like, oh, this employee can't do their job. It's like, no, the job can't do its job. You're just putting employees in a position to fail. Uh, and I think that social acceptability of being able to identify issues is a huge problem. And then how do you do the valuation, not evaluation, but how do you put dollars and cents to something? I like Target because on their tags, it says like by design on all their Target stuff. They know if they make a throw, like a throw cushion or a throw pillow, if it wasn't designed well, if it's ugly, if it doesn't work, whatever, they can say, oh, we haven't sold any, or we sold a bunch, then we're not selling any anymore. And so now we're not gonna make it anymore. We're gonna decommission, we're not gonna sell this anymore. We're gonna redesign it. Really clear ability to report on that. <clears throat> they have a SKU. How often are we selling the SKU over 30 days, 60? For an experience, 
that employee probably stomachs that experience every day and has been doing that for six months, nine months, 12 months. Because there's no measurement. You know, them not being able to ask <clears throat> Emily, like, hey, did you get drywall screws? Did you get, you know, tape? Did you get like drywall spackle or, you know, joint compound or whatever you need for it? They didn't ask that. So they don't know, like, oh, are we missing opportunities or not? Like, it's just so intangible at times. But and I think that's one of the biggest difficulties with workforce experience design is because it's not tied to a skew. So it's not reportable at a dollars and cents level nearly as easily. Now it is possible, of course, but it's not as easy as just pulling a report and saying, are we selling this thing? So in summary, with the idea of what, you know, really makes workforce experience design different than UX in the consumer world, I think we can safely say, you know, skills wise, like, you know, your actual ability to, you know, do a wireframe, you know, make a persona, like skills wise, it's very similar in the sense that we do very similar tasks and use similar methodology. But to Ryan's point and like all of our like conversation day, it's the intangibleness of some of the ways our design may impact down the chain. Like how do we measure that? How do we get buy-in of why it's important? Um, and we're just working in a very, I would say constrained and not a negative way, but a constrained design sense. So like there are just a lot more constraints coming in that you need to keep in mind. There's a lot less, I would say, freedom in just open-ended design. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. <clears throat> that might, have, might need to be a topic of uh, another design and donuts. How do you measure the value of workforce experience design? I like it. Yeah, I think intangible was very key there. Um, that really resonated and I agree, definitely a, a follow-up. Okay, last burning question for this episode because Ryan didn't answer earlier. Ryan, what is your spirit animal? Um, seahorse, because the male seahorses carry the, their babies in their tummies and I love being a dad and I'm a helicopter dad and so I'm always around Grace and Greta. So seahorse, final answer. Love it. Love it. There are right. sea dragons too, by the way. What? There are sea dragons too, just for everybody's edification. Okay. Which are pretty neat. Okay. So a dragon is what you're saying. So my, my last soundbite would be design, like workforce experience design is like holding the door open for somebody. Most people know that it's the right thing to do. But when the building owner tells or asks you, why is this a value and is this costing me or saving me money it becomes a very intangible question to answer so i think on the next conversation we talk about we all understand holding the door open is the right thing to do but how do we prove the value of that back to the business